We're to proclaim Him when we speak. We're to speak the utterances of God. We are to live out His life as the body of Christ. And Christ will speak in and through His people. He'll serve in and through His people. And hence Paul says, listen, we're the body of Christ. So don't in any way think that God is now on the sidelines not saying anything. Oh no, God has spoken in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the great need of the 21st century, the great need of those people in your classroom or your office partner is Jesus Christ. They need to see Him. They need to see Him in all His majesty. We need to expound Him from Scripture. We need to expound Him, so to speak, through the life of the church. They need to see Jesus Christ as He is in and through the body of Christ, His people. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott concludes the message titled, One Body, Many Members. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Moses was called a prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, in fact, that great prophecy that uh, God's going to raise up for you, Israel, a prophet like me. And in Acts, Peter said, God did. He's Jesus. Just as Israel had its great leader, Moses, who spoke for God, and he predicted, Peter said, and he quoted, I think it's in the uh, end of the fourth chapter of Acts, he said, he or third chapter of Acts, he said, uh, just like Moses said, God will raise up a prophet like me. He did, his servant Jesus, the prophet, the leader. And uh, it's interesting to realize that even Aaron was called. In fact, glance back there, Exodus 7. Look back at Exodus 7 for just a minute. You remember uh, Moses, you know, was about 80, and Aaron, his brother, was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. And the Lord said to Moses, chapter 7, verse 1, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh. Moses stood before the world, represented by Pharaoh, and said, God said to Moses, I'm going to make you as God. You're going to represent me. It's as if Moses is bringing Pharaoh face to face with God. And I can't help but say, Christian, you and I are called to be ambassadors for Christ. And we're going to see as Paul develops this thought that Christ's hands, Christ's eyes, Christ's ears, his feet, we're it. The body of Christ here. And so when people are confronted with the gospel through his church, they're confronted with Christ himself. When Paul, uh, before he became a Christian, he was out persecuting who? Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because he was persecuting Christians. We are as God. I mean, that's a, I wouldn't say it except the scripture says it. It's a sobering and exciting thought. Anyway, he says, I'm going to make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. That's interesting, isn't it? And I bring it up because it's such a good illustration. You remember the background of this? God said, I'm going to deliver my people in chapter 3, and I'm going to use you, Moses. And Moses said, me? I can't talk. I, uh, I, I've never been eloquent. Uh, who put words, who, who gave your mouth to begin with, Moses? Well, yeah, but I still, I, I can't. And you remember the Lord's anger burned. He said, okay, okay, I'll use Aaron. He'll be your mouthpiece. You can tell Aaron what to say, and he'll say it. And that's exactly the way they operated. And he says, you're going to stand before Pharaoh as God, and Aaron shall be your prophet. Now, you get the idea of what a prophet is. He's a spokesman for another. Turn over to Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. 
uh, all the prophets, you could read this. This is Jeremiah, a clear statement of his call, but this would be true of all the Old Testament prophets, really. Verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, well, let me read verse 4, because the prophets were constantly saying this sort of thing, and it helps us see. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah didn't say, you know, the other day I was thinking. (laughs) He said, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, quotation mark. I mean, you know, you get the drift. He's saying, here's what God says. Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Well, and this is, you'll see a pattern here too, by the way. Uh, Jeremiah was kind of like Moses. They were not these guys that were eager to be God's spokesman. I'll tell you what God's saying, and there's a lot of people that have a proneness to just quickly speak for God. Moses certainly didn't. He, even to a fault, he turned the other way and said, I'm not adequate for this. Jeremiah said, then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, don't say, I'm a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Don't you look at your own resources, Jeremiah. Don't say, oh, I'm so ineloquent, or I'm so young, or I'm so unable. Everywhere I send you, you will go. All that I command you, you shall speak. Now you get the idea of what a prophet is. Do not be afraid of them. And Jeremiah, I'm sure, just like Moses, going to go in to Pharaoh? Just going to bust right in on the dictator and tell him what God says? He said, don't be afraid of them, Jeremiah, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And this passage, of course, has been a great comfort to many, many of God's people and God's spokesmen throughout the years. And it encourages me when I'm called upon to teach the Word of God and to proclaim the Word of God. He's going to be with us. We don't have to fear. Then the Lord stretched out His hand, look at verse 9, and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I've called you to be a prophet, Jeremiah. I have put my words in your mouth. Now, spokesman for God. The New Testament uses the term in a similar way. Prophet is used in connection always, it seems to me, but usually, certainly, and I think I could say always, but it's always used in connection with the apostles. We're told of the apostles and prophets in the New Testament. And by the way, it's always in that order. The apostles and prophets. And turn over to Ephesians and let me show you that. Ephesians 3, verse 5. Starting at verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. But now, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, in the spirit. In chapter 4 verse 11 he gave some as apostles and some as prophets. In chapter 2 verse 20 right here above your uh, chapter 3 verse 5 he says verse 19 you're no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
So the prophets in the New Testament, were, the term was used in a similar way to the Old Testament, and they were similar, but they were also dissimilar in this sense, that when you come to the New Testament, the prophets, we were to discern in their thinking, and their utterances were to be scrutinized and uh, discerned, judged between according to the apostolic writing. And I think that's a hint that the apostles are really the direct line descendant, you might say, of the Old Testament prophets, those who had God's word put in their mouth. The apostles are the ones that Jesus looked at and said, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And they were conscious of this. They went out, those 12 men, and they spoke for God. And Paul could say in Corinthians 14, verse 37, if anybody thinks he's a prophet, let him understand this, that the things that I have written to you are the commandment of the Lord. If you think you're a prophet and you're going to disagree with Paul's writing, understand this, Paul said, I'm an apostle. And the things I've written to you are the Lord's commandment. So when you come to the New Testament, the prophet is used in connection with the apostles, but the apostles were to, the prophets were told we we're to discern between, and when we, when they spoke for God, their speaking was in subjection to the apostolic writing. Over in 1 John, uh, let me give it, in fact, turn there. I think it's w well worth looking at. Because somebody says, well, how would you discern, uh, where to discern between a, uh, whether the prophet is speaking for God or not? And so he says in verse 1, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he gives instruction to not just believe every prophet that says, here I'm speaking for God, uh, test them to see if they're from God, because there's a lot of false prophets out there. Well, what was the test? Well, without delving into it in detail, verse 6, we are from God, the apostle John writes. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's the same today. People that are saying they're speaking for God, are they subject to the Word of God? Is what they're saying subject to the Word of God? Because we are from God, the Apostle writes. And so if you want a direct line descendant of the Old Testament prophet, really you're looking at the Apostle. And both the Apostles and prophets were used in a foundational sense as the church was founded on Jesus Christ. That's why it says in Ephesians 2.20, when he uses this term, he says this, the body of Christ, although in chapter 2 he's not using that analogy, he uses the building analogy. And he says, we're living stones. You know, we're, we're uh, being fit together into a holy temple. And he says, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Since the completion of the New Testament, since the foundation was laid, there's no further need for apostles or prophets. Uh, the foundation is laid. There's so, there, the foundation has been laid, Paul writes in Corinthians 3, and no man can lay a foundation other than the foundation which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And to try to build another foundation, to have apostles floating around here in 21 centuries later 
is building another foundation on the 21st story, so to speak. The foundation was laid back there in the first century. And so apostles and prophets, uh, the need for them passed off the scene. Now, I know when I say that, that there are false cults who have their apostles and prophets. I lived in Salt Lake City for four years, and I know that there are groups, and there always have been through these 21 centuries, that have their so-called apostles or the successors of the apostles who still speak for God, and they put their word above the written word of God. Even within Christendom, even churches that operate that way. But you beware. Uh, It's a serious thing when a man sets himself up as a spokesman for God, whether he calls himself an apostle or a prophet. Uh, Beware. And I know. I know that uh, even some Christian groups, and I mean brothers in Christ, some Christian sects have their uh, self-appointed prophets and apostles. And sometimes uh, they, I would say always, it seems, that tends to breed confusion. Sometimes it's private. I remember uh, some time ago, a man came to my office on Monday morning. And uh, he buzzed me, and I'd met him in the foyer the day before. And so I I said, send him down. I greeted him. We sat down and exchanged pleasantries. He was a brother in Christ. But he says, Scott, I have something from the Lord for you. And I said, you do? He said, yes. And then he gave me a prophecy. And I'd put it in quotations. He said, you know, I really appreciated the sermon. There was good teaching, blah, blah, blah. But uh, there is no joy at Southwest Bible Church. And I said, whoa. Now, are you telling me this is from the Lord? And he said, yeah. I said, well, that's serious. I take that seriously. He said, yeah, so do I. That's why I came to see you Monday. And I said, is this, I mean, are you speaking, is this a rhema? And he said, yeah. That's a Greek term that's often used for the term word of the Lord. And people are throwing it around loosely today. And I said, well, let me get this right. There's no joy at Southwest Bible Church. He said, yeah. And I had a blackboard on my office wall. And I went over to it. And I surprised him a bit when I wrote, there is no joy at Southwest Bible Church. And even writing it down, he became a little uncomfortable. But I said, "This is. do I have it right? And he said, yeah. Then I put quotes around it. I said, do I have this right? Because this is serious. We're to have the joy of the Lord. I know. And I said then, and I wrote, thus saith the Lord. And he became quite... And I said, do I have it right? And he said, yes. And then I picked up my Bible, and I thoroughly rebuked that man. As a brother in the Lord. He had no business coming in there. I told him how earlier that very morning I'd heard from one of our missionaries long distance on the phone. And he'd told me of leading people to Christ. And we rejoiced together. And I told him, my Bible says the angels in heaven celebrate when a, ba- when a believer comes to Christ. And I said, you have no right to come in here and say, thus says the Lord, and say something that's inaccurate. I know there's joy in Southwest Bible Church, even if it's only me. <laughs> And right then, I think I was the only joyous one in the room. (laughs) But I'm telling you, I happen to know there's lots of joy. And he's a false prophet coming in here saying, Thus saith the Lord. And he meant well, I know. 
And I rebuked him, and he was, you know, ashen a bit. But I was concerned, and I am concerned when people go... And don't you be confused when people quickly start giving out prophecies. There's a lot of... Now, if he... And I told him, I said, listen, if you'd have said... If you'd have come in here and told me, and I think, I think there needs to be more joy at Southwest Bible Church, I said, amen, let's start working on it. I think that you ought to be part of that solution, don't you, brother? I just said, yeah, let's work on more joy because our joy ought to be full and it ought to be manifest. If you'd have said, I think, I would have agreed with just about anything you said. If you said, I think there's no joy, I'd have disagreed because I know there's joy. I just heard of some salvation decisions from one of our missionaries, and I'm joyously excited about that, aren't you? You know, I could have gone all that route with him, but he didn't. He came in and said, I've got a word from God for you. And that's a danger, and that breeds confusion. You remember a few years ago when we had the earthquake here, spring break quake or whatever? Then later, some guy came along, and I don't question his salvation or his intent, uh, you know, his desire. Uh, I don't know the man, but he started making a prophecy that there's going to be a disastrous quake. If you think spring break quake was something, Portland's going to fall into the Willamette, basically. And churches started to believe him. Maybe you remember. And people started to make plans to not be downtown that day. And Christian letters started coming to my desk, and people said, what do you think about the prophecy, Scott? And I'll tell you, that sort of thing breeds confusion. And later, of course, the news media picked up on it, and that guy apologized as well he should. We don't need that kind of confusion in the body of Christ. Uh, Beware of those who put themselves up as prophets. Now, having said that, look back at Romans 12. Even in New Testament times, we're told... If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, and that's that uh, phrase right there, governed, even the New Testament prophets, they were to prophesy according to the proportion of the faith. And the article there is the definite article, the faith. Scholars debate, does it mean, as it's translated here, the proportion of his faith? Is this a subjective thing or is it an objective thing? I think it's uh, the proportion, the analogy, the analogy of the faith, I think it's clearly an objective statement, but I'll go either way because good men disagree on that. It could be you say, and I think this is what he's saying, you prophesy your words should be in line with the whole faith of the church written on apostolic writing. Or it could be, if you want to take it subjectively, I'll go along with that. Don't you say anything more than God has given you, prophet? The New Testament times. Well, you say, well, is the gift of prophecy still operative today at all, Scott? Christians disagree. Some say yes, and those that do tend to be the camp of Christians where that abuse becomes rampant because to have a spokesman for God, there's problems with that. Some say, well, the prophet himself is no longer needed, but the gift of prophecy is still operative, and they usually define it downward to basically expounding God's Word or saying things that are in line with Scripture. And I really have no problem with that, and I won't even debate the issue. Sometimes people ask me, Scott, do you think the gift of prophecy is still around? And I'll say, well, depending on what you mean by that. And they tell me, I think there's those guys that can really just speak God's Word with authority and clarity. Well, I won't debate it if that's the way you want to define the gift of prophecy. It sounds very similar to me to the gift of teaching. 
quite frankly, which he's going to talk about here. And so I tend to think there is no need for that gift. But I also tend to think that within those basic colors and the hues that we speak of as we speak on this subject, there are definitely a wide variety of teachers, for instance, who have the gift of teaching. And there are those who are more prophetic teachers. They have a burning desire to say, the Lord speaks. And they, and if you go, turn over to Ephesians 4 for just a second. And I think in verse 11, it's best to see that he speaks of gifted men, apostles that the risen Christ gave, and prophets as the first century And also, he goes on and says, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And I see evangelists and teachers playing the role today and throughout the centuries that the apostles and prophets played in the giving of the foundational truth, giving it out. And so you will find, for instance, evangelists uh, within the gift spectrum, and you will find some who speak, it seems, in a broader deeper, stronger context than others, and God gives them a prominence, and then you'll find others that are uh, used in similar ways, but just in a less forthright way. And the same with teachers. I think you'll find a spectrum of teachers. And so I don't have any problem with using the word prophetic teacher as as a, an adjective of those who feel a passion and are gifted to say, the Lord says, but they've got their Bible open, and they're speaking forth God's truth. And God greatly uses that. And to say that there's no longer the gift of prophecy is sometimes pictured as saying, God doesn't speak anymore. He's kind of silent. We're just left on our own. Not at all. God has spoken. He spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, Hebrews 1 says. But in these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son. And we have the full revelation of Jesus Christ on the pages of Scripture. And we are to proclaim Him. And we're to proclaim Him when we speak. We're to speak the utterances of God. We are to live out His life as the body of Christ. And Christ will speak in and through His people. He'll serve in and through His people. And hence Paul says, listen, we're the body of Christ. So don't in any way think that God is now on the sidelines not saying anything. Oh no, God has spoken in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the great need of the 21st century, the great need of people today in your neighborhood, the great need of your relatives, the great need of those people in your classroom or your office partner is Jesus Christ. They need to see Him. They need to see Him in all His majesty. We need to expound Him from Scripture. We need to expound Him, so to speak, through the life of the church. They need to see Jesus Christ as He is in and through the body of Christ, His people. Uh, Don't think too highly of yourself, he says. Listen, just like the body has many parts but one body, so we in Christ are one body but many members. And we don't all have the same function. We've got gifts that differ. Exercise them accordingly to the grace, to the glory of the praise of His grace. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, One Body, Many Members, a message from our series in the Book of Romans.
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're excited to announce that Downtown Bible Class will have a new name beginning in April. The program will be called Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Same Christ-centered teaching, same music, same announcer, same times, and radio stations. Our new website will be abideintheword.net. Our listeners will have the same access to listen, download, or connect via podcast. Why not head over to the new site and check it out? There'll be access there to the entire archive of messages from Pastor Scott, easily searchable and accessible for your use. Again, that's abideintheword.net. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Ask God to rekindle your desire to serve Him. It is the Lord Christ whom I serve. God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel, Paul said, is my witness. And then remember why you serve. Uh, I go back to 1 Peter 4.11 often in my mind because he said, You've each received a gift. Employ it in serving one another. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him serve as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's why we serve. We serve to glorify God. We serve to build up the body of Christ. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Serving and Teaching. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 